Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. All right. Uh, Thank you, worship team. Thank you for those beautiful uh, reminders of um, who God is in this time. Um, These are crazy times. Right. Um, I had actually planned to preach something else this weekend. We're in a series on uh, in the season of Lent, reflecting on the sufferings of Jesus. Um, but we're also in a season where our own suffering and where our own reality and the potential of suffering is dominating our consciousness. And so we just felt like we wanted to take some time and just take our, our gathering time this morning to talk about that. Um, there's, as I have sort of reflected on what I have heard and felt. Um, and seen around me um, in the news with loved ones, with people that, that I'm close to in my own consciousness, I would say three words have come to the surface of what we're dealing with here uh, in terms of um, you know, this crisis. And the first one is unsettling. I think that um, certainly there's a feeling of unsettlement. Uh, as I said to my children, like um, we have never been through something like this before as, as a world. And the uh, unsettling that something um, could spread so quickly and affect every country, I think they were saying this morning, 123 countries, that there's something unsettling about that, that a virus, in a sense, like that of no human decision or will or intent could somehow um, disrupt our entire world. Uh, so that's unsettling. I think uh, we need to be honest about the difficulty uh, that's present. There's been over 5,000 deaths, and so there's people that have lost loved ones. Um, There's a difficulty in terms of what this means for um, care, those of us who care for elderly people who have young children who are pregnant or who are just close to the marginalized, those who are weak, who are uh, immune systems are impaired, and, and there's a difficulty that presented there. There's just a difficulty in the disruption of what this means for life. There's a massive difficulty for many people who are running businesses, especially small businesses, um, and um, people who run camps and things like that. And um, the, the, the difficulty of knowing how do I care for my employees in this case, and at the same time, how do I make sure that my business doesn't go under um, the difficulties in apparently getting toilet paper? <laughs> you know, like there's just so many things and hardships that actually not even that people are just experiencing now, but but what will come with this. And, and it's still happening. And it, we're checking. I've never been someone who probably to a fault, like worries about the stuff or even thinks about it. Um, I'm checking daily just uh, just to see what's happening. And so it's not just the difficulty now, but what will come. Um, and, and, and then, of course, I think the biggest one, honestly, is the uncertainty. Um, any parents of children, children have lots of questions in these times, and we're, I don't know, expected to have the answers or whatever as parents, but certainly we just say, well, we just don't know. We've never lived through anything like this. Um, even, you know, the World Health Organization, the people who are professionals who are doing a, a great job with, like, trying to communicate and being on top of this can only know what they know now. No one truly can actually say where this is going to go. Um, and there can be models that can predict and whatever, but no one knows the future. And that's always true. But at times like this, we could become really aware of just how uncertain our lives actually are. And that brings us back to being 
unsettled. And so this is probably describing just most of our reality uh, at the moment. And maybe there hasn't been a time, at least in recent history, where this is true about the entire world, um, wherever you live. Uh, the responses to this are varied. Um, fear, obviously, is a big one. This began with, um, you know, even uh, as we talked about a few weeks ago, xenophobia, like a fear of others, a fear of foreigners, or a fear or a mistrust or, you know, a distancing towards certain people groups or certain places. And now we're well past that in the sense that knowing this is everywhere, and so there's fear everywhere. There's fear of death. Um, there's fear of, um, like, personal harm, loved ones. There's fear, as I said, of what's going to happen with our economy. Um, there's anxiety that comes up with that, the, the emotions, the visceral, physical responses to fear that some of us who, uh, that's a, uh, a regular part of our lives, maybe this is actually making this worse, or maybe we're saying to everyone else, welcome to the club. This is how I feel a lot of times. So there can be anxiety that comes up in us during this. And then panic, of course. Um, and it's hard, you know, in a sense that, that as I listened to, you know, as we're driving this week, listening to the radios, they were reporting numbers, lots of numbers coming out. And we do this as preachers, okay, preacher math. When there was 201 people at Christmas Eve, we go, there was over 200 people. You know, what, what are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to make the number bigger. And it's interesting as I listen, it's not just reporting the numbers. People are reporting, they're saying over this many thousand. Whenever you say that, you're trying to make the number bigger than it actually is. And so in, in the, the, I feel, and I'm not being critical or whatever, like, but in the media, there can be this like, tension between be afraid, oh, but don't be afraid. You know, they have reason to panic, but don't panic. There's this, we're kind of caught in between as we keep sharing the numbers and saying there's a vastness of this and at the same time trying to help people stop panicking. Um, I think honestly, like joking about toilet paper aside, what is that? That is a need or an attempt to control something when I can't feel like I can't control anything. Like I feel out of control in a sense of panic. I can't control this virus. I can't control how I get it. I can't control what's gonna happen to my loved ones. I'm gonna clamp down and try to grab something, even if it's a piece of toilet paper, that I think I can control that, that will somehow give me a sense of security. And so we can look at it and go, well, that's absurd, but we all have that instinct in us. I'm gonna try to control because actually what we realize in this, I'm in control of very little in life. And in times like this, we get reminded. And so we, we have this instinct in us. It's in all of us to try to clamp down and, and to try to control. And obviously there's wisdom in limits and you know quarantines and things like that. But there's the emotional, psychological, and spiritual side of this that is panic. And I think the question that I have been wrestling with and that I want to invite you into as well, um, wherever you happen to be in your faith journey, is where is God in this? What does it mean to follow Jesus in this? And what does it mean as individuals, but what does it mean to be a community of Jesus followers that are with him in the middle of this? And, and I think, um, you know, what's interesting is when you read the scriptures, you find that um, the people of God, and certainly when we get a close-up look between the relationship between God and his people through the life of Jesus, God in the flesh, come down and relating with people, we see that there were many times and instances where things like this, storms, were coming up in their lives. And what was God saying? What were people saying to God? How did God respond? 
how was he inviting them to stay with him in the middle of this? And so my mind went, um, as I was thinking about this, just to a passage that may be familiar to some of you, maybe you've never heard it before. Uh, and it's a story about Jesus. Um, it's a true story. It's one of the accounts that his disciples wrote about after he had died and uh, raised to life that they remembered and wrote down of an instance of them uh, with him in a storm. And this is what it says in Mark's uh, gospel, one of the biographies of Jesus. That day when evening came, he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, which is his followers, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I think in this account, in this story, there is, um, there's actually so much for us to reflect on who is Jesus? How do we relate to him in the middle of storms and waves, if I can say that? Um, you know, and they asked the question that I think we all ask God in times like this. Don't you care if we drown? <laughs> Don't you care if we drown? Um, and what's interesting is, the, is for the disciples, a few things. These were not, this, they were not like on their maiden sea voyage. Okay, these were seaworthy um, men. Like they were fishermen, many of them, they had been in boats, they had been on lakes, they had been in storms before. You know, this wasn't new. I remember um, when I was in Indonesia in between my second and third year of studies, and I was volunteering with a friend of mine who worked in, um, in kind of the mountains in East Indonesia. And we went to the jungle for a few days with a friend of his who was a helicopter pilot. And we're flying in down into these lowlands. Um, and there was this like beautiful waterfall. I'd never been in a chopper before. And so I'm like glued to the, you know, the glass, like looking out and, and there's this waterfall. And so the, the pilot kind of goes down into and near to the point we could, the spray was coming off the thing. And I'm thinking, holy cow, like I didn't know you could get this close. And so my friend says to the pilot, wow, I've never been down this low in the valley in a helicopter. And the pilot says, yeah, me neither. Um, now I'm really praying, like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, so, okay, it, it was his, but this was my first time in it. But this is not the disciples' uh, frame of mind as they're going in. They've ne they've, they were on the boat. They had seen storms before. And so just to say, look, they knew, and, and chances are before they woke him up, they were trying to row their way out of this. And so they knew when something was threatening death on them and their panic. And so this was a legitimate storm and they had reason to be afraid, right? And so I think that's the saying that no one's overreacting here. There's a moment here of going, this is legit. And the word drown is interesting. Um, actually, in some of your translations, it's not a question. It's just saying, uh, we're perishing or we're going to die. Like they're shaking Jesus going, we are going to die. Uh, it's not even a prayer. <laughs> you know, it's literally a statement of just saying, we're, we're going down. We just want you to know before we go down. And the, the interesting thing for, for people in that day and age in the, in the Near Eastern world, the sea was not just uh, water. I mean, m many people died at sea. Uh, there was a lot of people who fished. There was a lot of trade that happened across boat. And uh, they didn't have like the technology and the kinds of ships that, you know, could withstand squalls like this. And so people died. And, the, and so the 
The sea was kind of considered like the abyss, almost like hell in a sense, and they felt like evil spirits lived in the sea, and that's why people died because the evil spirits came up. So if you think about it, this wasn't just actually the fear of death. There was there was terror as it related to the abyss. Like there was like spiritual, emotional, psychological, physical fear of dying. And so that's why they're panicked and they're grabbing Jesus saying, don't you care if we drown? And I think they just go, yeah, this, these are the things that we are crying out to God even in these moments. It's like, do you see? Like, are you, like, do you see what I see? Do you, are you aware of what is going on in the middle of this? Because this is threatening to overtake us. And so there's this panic, there's this fear, this, all of this that we can sort of go, yeah, we relate to. What does Jesus say to them? I mean, first of all, he's sleeping, which, you know, I, I, this is one of the ones I'm going to ask him one day. I'm like, were you pretending to sleep? Were you actually sleeping? What was this about? He wakes up and he says this to them. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, I think we can read this and go, okay, Jesus, really? Like, I think you know why they're afraid. And what is this about? Like, was he being sort of critical of them? But I think the second thing he says is really important. He says, do you still have no faith? You know, you're afraid, you're panicked, you think you're going to drown. Do you still, in other words, um, the still and the faith are actually really important words. I think what we need to say is we understand the biblical concept of faith and certainly the faith that Jesus invited us to, quote, have, was not about outcomes. You know, oh, I have faith that this will all work out. I have faith that we won't die. I have faith that this thing will turn and, and things will get better. And I have faith that soon we'll be on the other side of this. That's not what he was saying. Faith, as, as maybe you've heard it said before, the best translation of that word is trust. And so Jesus is saying to him, why are you so afraid? Do you still not trust me? Do you still not trust me? And I think that's a legitimate question. And he was saying still, in other words, You've, you know me. We, this isn't our first boat trip together. We have been together. We are friends. You know who I am. You've seen what I can do. Do you still not trust me? And I think it's an important question for those of us of faith. In the middle of things that we say, what's going to happen? And as we feel panic, anxiety, fear rising up with us, God is saying to us, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Well, he gets up and speaks to the wind and the waves, right? And rebukes them and they are silent. But look what happens after he does that. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This word terrified is so interesting. A moment before they were terrified that they were going to die. Now they have a different kind of fear. And this is actually a really important, and, and I use the word fear, and I'm going to explain it. This is, this is actually the fear we're meant to have. Their fear was now not on the circumstances. They stood back and said to Jesus, like, who are, we, we don't know anyone like you. There's no one like you. And they were in, it's a, a terrified, in other words, it's an awe that shocks you, that makes you go, whoa, who is this? See, in a moment suddenly they, they had a shift going on from what they were looking at around them that they were so terrified that was going to destroy them and drown them. And that was their largest fear. And in a moment, they suddenly saw God for who he really was. And it's just to say this, your fear shrinks when your view of God grows. Right? When we are focused on the 
circumstances and what is happening. And listen, they had reason to be afraid. And we can be honest and say, we do, in a sense, have reason to, like, there's no one's going, oh, why are you so afraid? Why are you, ink? like, th we've never seen anything like this. And even any of you that have gotten sick or you've lost loved ones or you know who, like, there's a legitimate fear rising up. And when we continue, like, looking at the waves as they were that are breaking over the boat, straining at the oars, trying to row their way through this, is like what we're doing every day as we listen to the radio, as we watch the news, as we follow the feed. The numbers keep coming and we keep seeing wave after wave after wave and we think, where is this going? And legitimately fear is coming up in this. The only way that that fear begins to shrink in our lives is not by saying, oh, don't worry, it'll all work out. Or, oh, why are you worried? Oh, we're panicking or to be critical about this. It's only when our view of the God who is in control of all things grows that our fears begin to shrink. In other words, they get put into perspective. That's what they saw. They saw for a moment they were looking at the waves that and the, at things they knew. It was their world. And suddenly they saw a God who was sovereign over their world. And they said, okay, we, we forgot. We don't even know who you are. And their fears began to shrink in their, as their view of God grew. And so I was even thinking about this when it comes to like numbers, you know. Um, there is a prevailing thought out there that the world that we live in is has been created by chance, by just random things, atoms crashing together, and that suddenly, you know, amino acids formed, matter formed, it managed to stay together, and it turned into the world that we live in. It turned into you and me, it turned, it turned into the world we live in. Um, and there's a lot of things that scientists look at and try to understand, like, how did we come to be? And so I don't want to be disparaging in this, but if the idea that, you know, that we came together by ourselves, like what I said to my kids once, if you took a bucket of sand, and you threw the bucket of sand onto the ground, would it form a sandcastle? Like a beautiful sandcastle with doors that open and little people inside? No, it would never. How many times would you have to dump the bucket onto the floor for it to happen? Well, it would, they, it would never happen. They say the chances of that actually happening are one in like a trillions of small number, like a whole bunch of zeros. But if that's how you believe the world came to be, like chance, it's just chance, and that our Earth is orbiting in its perfect um, you know, pattern not too close to the sun that we would burn up, not too far that we would zip out of gravity and freeze or go into oblivion, but that all of that is by chance. Then when something like this comes, a virus like this, and we think, oh no, like the world is coming undone. But when we know and remember that we are held together by a God who holds all things together, when literally it is not by chance that we are here, that our world literally is held together by God, as it does its perfect orbit, that the chances of this not happening, that us, us burning up or freezing should have happened a million times over before any kind of virus like this came in to claim any of our lives. We say, no, like God is actually holding us together. And so I think the church and the community of faith has an opportunity now to let our view of God grow, that as we continue to look at who God is, not faith in an outcome of how things are going to turn. We need to pray. We need to pray that God would turn the tide on this, that God would heal our land, that God would rescue the world from this um, pandemic. But our faith, our trust is not in the outcome. It is in the God who holds all things together, 
who is the same yesterday, today, forever. And as we continue to cultivate that trust, as we stare at him, like as often as we look at the numbers and read our feed and look at the news, 10 times more, we need to look at God and remember who he is and ask him to remind us who he is. Give us a vision. That's what we do. We say, God, you know, and God was so gracious to them. Like he wasn't like saying, we're just going to ride the storm. He did something. But as long as we grab hold of him, even if we're panicked in prayer and say, God, we need you. We want to see, we need our view of you to grow so that the reality or the fear of our circumstances begin to shrink because our sense of awe of who you are is growing. That is what we need. And so what does it mean to be a community, you know, in this day, in this time, facing these things to actually lean in? And I was thinking, we as a church, Upper Room Community Church, soon to be the well, um, have what we call core values. Um, and core values, we say, are these are the things that guide our behavior when there's no playbook. Um, and this is one of those situations where there's no playbook. Um, what does it mean for the community of faith to be guided by values? Um, the, the first value we have is, is we say we expect the mess. We expect the mess. And let's just say we can step back and say this may be difficult for us, but the church should not be panicked because we think this has never happened before. Sure, this particular virus, this particular way, it's not happened before. But the church was born actually in the midst of chaos. And for 2,000 years, the church has found itself in the midst of crisis. In fact, I was thinking about this, that the very first church, when Jesus birthed this church, when they started in the first century, every week they went to church gatherings with the expectation that they might die when they were there. Every week. Every week they gathered upon threat of death. And you know who were the first people to die? The leaders, the pastors, the bishops, the priests. I thought to myself, man, would I... Would I be a, a pastor if it meant that I was the first in line to die? And, and if you don't know church history, it was because the Romans were trying to stamp out this crazy Jesus follower movement. And the Jewish people around them also felt like they were preaching blasphemy that God would somehow become a human being. And so we know historically documented the church faced intense persecution. And so literally the threat of death, well, just be honest, that's what some of us fear here. Like if you say, well, why are we afraid of this? Why are you afraid of that? Take it all the way down to the end of the line. I could die. My loved ones could die. And yet the church started in those very conditions. That to go to church, to go to the weekly gathering, to identify as a follower of the way, as a follower of Jesus, was basically to put your hand up to say, like when you got baptized, that's when persecution started. Because people knew publicly you were saying, I'm part of the way. And the, and the Christian leaders were the first ones to die. And so to realize, wow, the church has faced the threat, the literal threat of death from day one. One of the interesting things that you find even into the third century, when the uh, bubonic plague was ripping through Rome, and the Romans, it was so contagious uh, that if you got it, you would, your symptoms would show and you would die within a few days. So the Romans were literally throwing their own sick people out into the streets to keep them out of their houses because they would fear, while they were alive, just throwing them out. And the Christians were taking them in. Um, and you can see this in uh, what some of the, the bishops wrote, but also even the Roman emperors um, that were commenting on why is it that the Christians ca are caring for our people better than we are for ourselves. And they were literally taking in people who were thrown into the streets, 
caring for them as they died, and then they died as well. And this, if we think, well, how did the church ever thrive? How did it become this, from this little small group of people to basically within three centuries, the Roman Empire was begging for mercy and said, okay, fine, we will become Jesus' followers too. How did that happen? It happened under these conditions. It happened in the mess of the threat of life and death and the church going, how are we going to deal with this? What are we going to do? When we say we expect a mess, I think one of the things to realize is God's primary agenda in your life and my life is not our personal safety. We pray for safety. I pray for my kids at night. We pray for safety. We pray for healing. But God is not primarily concerned with keeping you safe. Why do I say that? I remember one of the guys that I love to read said, you know, he, he's a parent and he said when his son, nine-year-old son uh, called him into his room at night because he was having a bad dream. And he said, dad, pray that I'll be safe. And he says, no, I'm not going to pray you'll be safe. I'm going to pray that you'll be dangerous because there's a world of darkness out there that needs warriors like you to go do something about it. <laughs> I don't know how that went over with that nine-year-old that night. But I thought, man, what a perspective to say, no, I don't just want to hope that nothing bad happens to me in life. God is on a mission to heal our broken world. And our broken world is not just broken because of a virus. There's been about, you know, five, a little over 5,000 lives that have been claimed. But can I, can I just say this gently? 15,000 children die of hunger every day. Every day. The reason, I'll be honest, that I worry more about this than that is because I don't care. And I'm pretty sure it won't happen to my children. That's just the facts. And all that said, I don't say that to shame any of us because I'm in the same boat as you. The world has always been broken. It is a mess. And God is on a mission actually to raise up people who will be healing agents in this world. We don't have a vaccine yet for this virus, but we, we would if we could actually do something about world poverty and hunger. We could. We have enough money for it. So the things that are killing most of the world's population, we already have had the cures for for 20 years. We already have the money to do it. And so that just points to the fact that our problem is deeper and that personal safety is not the primary thing that needs to be healed and dealt with in our lives. It is the brokenness of our human condition. And God is on a mission to heal our broken world. And so when we say we expect a mess, yes, this is the world that we are in. The church has always found itself in this place. And we may be affected by it, but we are not going to let fear govern how we respond to it because we know this is always how it's been. And it doesn't mean that we have to despair. It means that God has always been working and progressively healing our world, even in the midst of the mess. And so it could get messier. It could get worse. But the followers of Jesus know, no, we expect this. Storms will come wave after wave. And the church in, for 2,000 years has faced these things. And at times it's responded well, and at times it hasn't. And so we want to be found. I want to be found as someone in this day, in this time, in the midst of this storm, as someone who is responding well to what God is calling us to do. And that's not to say we don't have wisdom. We don't follow the things that the World Health Organization and our government are advising us to do. It's simply to say, we know that this kind of stuff happens in the world that we live in. And so we expect this is going to be messy. The second value we have is we are better together. We are better together. We believe that as a community, God has called us to act like a community. And I know right now, the very thing that we're being told to do is not gather together. And so We've taken steps to say, you know, like definitely groups of over 50, let's not be in the same room, but we still need to be together. And let me ask you this, if we don't have a place to go on Sunday, are we still the church? Yes, we are still the community of faith. 
we are better together. And we're meant to actually um, lean into community at times like this in different ways. We have, the, we have technology that allows us to stay connected to each other in ways like never before. And so this is an, an advantage for us, not only to just to live stream a service, but to say, how do we stay connected to each other? And we believe that even though like the world in a sense has a pattern of isolation and to some degree we have to kind of isolate to degrees right now, it doesn't mean that we are robbed of our communal identity of saying we're not alone. And so what does it mean to actually become more aware of that in this time and saying, no, we are better together. We believe that we have a community. The church is a gathering of people, not a place. And so what does it mean to be the church at this time? And that our third one is our faith is about everyday life. Like this is where our faith matters. And when we talk about faith, remember, our trust in Jesus hits the ground in everyday life. It has everything to do with stuff that needs to happen now with how we respond in our schools, to our peers, in our workplace, with our time, with the health we have, with the money we have, with the houses we have, with the possessions we have, with the opportunities we have. It so matters how our everyday lives go and our everyday lives are built around our trust in Jesus, right? As our trust in Jesus grows and it gets higher than our circumstances, not to diminish the numbers and the things we're seeing, but it grows above that and say, God, you are higher than this. You know, we sing those songs, you are higher than the mountains that I face. Friends, this is when those worship songs become real for us in times like this. And so I have just a few practical things that I wanted to leave you with is saying, how do we think about this as a community of people, as a family within our household, as a single person, married people, family, whatever, what does this look like for me? Whether you're in a work from home situation, whether you're off school right now, and for however long this situation persists. <clears throat> The first one is the hoard mentality versus the share mentality. And again, this isn't about how much toilet paper you buy. This is about the level, how, your level of panic inside you. Or what is this? An, is this an opportunity to stock up? Or is this an opportunity to share with those who are in need? Because even as there has been a hoarding and there's maybe going to be scarcity on some things, what do I have that I am able to bless others with? That's the important question. Not how come I don't have enough? God, why have you given me so much? Whatever I happen to have. How do I share that? And we realize it's more than possessions. It's ourselves. You know, we may have to be separated geographically, physically, but we ourselves are still able to share. And what does it mean to even to go door to door in your neighborhood, especially people that you know that are elderly, knock on the door and say, you know, won't touch you because, you know, are you okay? Do you have everything you need? Um, do you need a ride somewhere? Do you need a ride to the doctor? Do you need toilet paper? Do you need, what, what do you need? How do we shift as have, we have a mentality of share versus hoard? <clears throat> the other one is protect self versus help the vulnerable. You know, we are connected to people who are elderly, either directly in our families or people who are care for that within our own congregations, but also in our neighborhoods, within our circles. And maybe you know people who don't have children who visit them very often in their home or wherever, um, or people who are sick or have, um, you know, we have people within our own congregation who are are battling with some um, impaired immune systems at this time. And so you may be aware of friends in school or families in the neighborhood or whatever. So what does it mean to go to think first about those who are most vulnerable around us? Thirdly, this is important. Some of us are going to have more time on our hands. Don't kill time. Use the time you have to grow your view of God. And I know this is big for me because we have no sports right now. So I'm realizing, okay, that's an issue in my life, whatever, like how much... So what am I going to just find a new Netflix show to binge watch and then I'll just redirect those media habits somewhere else? Or is this a time for me to grow my view of God? Because as I said to you many times, we can binge watch a great show, but it doesn't actually change how we feel about the world. It doesn't actually do anything to do, deal with our fear. It can actually make it worse or whatever. 
What does it mean to use the time that we may have more time? You may have more time in your home. Uh, if you're single, if you're married, if you live with friends, if you uh, have kids around, what does it mean as communities of people um, and to grow our view of God together? And then lastly, you know, this tendency to shine away, shy away versus lean into community. Again, it, our, our ability to do community like we always do is impaired or shifted. But what does it mean to say my posture is not actually to lean back, but to go, how do we stay connected in this? I'm going to leave that with you, um, just some things to think about and even just discuss as, as the weeks and days go on.